We need our money. We need it now. I don't got that kind of time because it's the panorama. Okay? Welcome back to Step Daddy Season. I'm your host, Amber Inadehi. I just want to thank you guys for all of the love and feedback that I've been getting from the first two episodes. Y'all, it has just blown my mind. <laughs> I knew that telling this story would be for the greater good and also just a really good way to get all of this stuff off of my chest. But just to hear how it's resonating with you all and how you're processing, it really does mean a lot to me. So I really appreciate that. I like to ask that you take time to rate and review this podcast on whatever platform that you're using. So if you want to, you could really just copy and paste <laughs> what you sent me into the reviews. This helps other people find the show. So people who are looking for something to listen to, it gives them an idea of what they're going to get when they tune into my show. So if you could do that, that would be wonderful. Also, please share this podcast with your friends, family members on your Instagram or other social media accounts. That would help me as well just to kind of get the word out. I'm trying to get as many people involved in the conversation as possible. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just help me out with that. Today's mini-sode is called, Does Your Partner Have Cult Leader Potential? We're going to do a deep dive into narcissistic and sociopathic tendency that abusive individuals will use to emotionally, psychologically, and mentally control their partner throughout their relationships. This week's fun fact is that I love true crime. It's one of my big things <laughs> during the week when I'm working my full-time job, I am listening to true crime podcasts. That's just how it is. And so I listen to anything from like big heist to murder to kidnapping to survivor stories. And then I recently found a podcast called Something Was Wrong which really helped me over the past two years come to understand narcissistic partners, sociopathic tendencies, and the whole entire brainwashing process that goes into maintaining control within relationships. So I'll drop the link to the podcast. It's wonderful, very thoughtfully done. These are real stories told by women and shocking, but there are a lot of good facts. The podcast is a good resource for examining your relationships and a good litmus test to see if you're dealing with some of the same things because listening to these women i heard so many similarities from my situation and it's good to hear from the family friends partners everybody who's involved because in these relationships they loop in every single person in your life one of my all-time favorite quotes is a quote by lila watson that says if you have come here to help me you are wasting your time but if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. In this episode, I'm really going to do a short deep dive into cult culture and how some of the brainwashing tendencies that are used to break down those victims are used within our relationships and we don't realize it. Dictionary.com defines a cult as a system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. A relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. 
My favorite definition is <laughs> a misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing. I really want us to hone in on that last definition, a misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing, because that is where the disconnect is that I've seen in relationships. Now I should say that not all cult leaders operate out of ill intent. So some of them really do think that they have supernatural abilities or like super spiritual abilities. Not all of them are narcissistic or grandiose in their ideals. Some of them just want to unite people and promote their teachings and they feel like they're doing the best that they can do. It's kind of like an anti-hero in some instances. They think they're doing something for the greater good, not realizing that they can be having adverse effects on people, drawing them in and making them want to leave their lives behind. Another common misconception is that members of cults need help to leave, which is not necessarily true. Most of them come to the realization on their own and have to in their own time. So in a lot of the documentaries that I see, a lot of family members will reach out and they'll try to convince their loved one that they need to leave. But it's not until the person realizes for themselves that they need to actually exit the situation that is actually effective and they don't go back. It's very similar in relationships too. Like you have to be the one to make your mind up to leave the situation. As many people that you have around you can tell you that it's wrong for you, but you have to come to the realization for yourself. It is very much a self-actualized process. Before we get into the brainwashing techniques that are used in relationships and cults. I want us to understand what a narcissist is from a definition standpoint and a psychological standpoint. I know that that's a buzzword that's going around right now. Also sociopaths. It's also a buzzword that I've been hearing a lot, seeing a lot on TikTok and throughout social media. So I want us to have a real working definition of what a narcissist is and what kind of characteristics that you can look for. According to Healthline.com, a person who has narcissistic personality disorder believes that they are superior and unique compared to others. They expect to be recognized and treated as such. They have grandiose sense of self, a preoccupation with fantasies of unlimited power, success, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. They have the belief that they're special and unique and can only be understood by or associated with other special or high status people or institutions. They have a need for excessive admiration, a strong sense of entitlement, interpersonally exploitive behavior. They'll use emotions and situations to manipulate people. They have a lack of empathy. They envy others or they have a belief that others are envious of them. So this can work hand in hand. There's also a demonstration of arrogant and haughty behaviors or attitudes. Now moving on to sociopaths. Healthline.com describes a sociopath as an informal term that's used to refer to someone who has antisocial personality disorder, or ASPD. ASPD is a personality disorder that involves a lack of empathy in addition to manipulative behaviors and impulsiveness in some people. Here are some key characteristics to look for. So one, there's a lack of empathy. This person will feel cold, unfeeling, callous, overly critical, or harsh. People with this disorder don't always realize how harmful their actions are, so they might just simply not care about how their actions hurt someone. There's a disregard for right and wrong. 
they generally have no regard for boundaries, rules, or laws. So a lot of people with ASPD may lie, cheat, steal, break laws, and they're usually constantly in some kind of legal trouble. So they're in and out of jail for minor or major crimes. And I know that this was something that was very much a big part of my ex's past. Yeah, one time he was walking around the house and he had on these big old white boxers. And I was like, why do you have those? Those are too big for you. Cause he's very slim. And so I'm like, why you got those on? And he's talking about, oh, I got these from jail. And in my mind, I'm like, why the hell would you want to keep something from jail? Like who keeps souvenirs from jail? Who want to do that? That's when I knew, I was like, so not right. Individuals living with ASPD also have a lot of wit and charm. If you can remember from the last episode, I brought up the situation with Kay and she said herself, he's so charming. I've never met somebody so deceitful. And yeah, that's the way that they pull you in with their wit and their charm. They also display a lot of impulsiveness, getting up and going, acting without thinking about the consequences. They also may engage in life-threatening activities without considering their own safety or the safety of anyone else involved. One documentary in particular that I was watching that really highlighted these behaviors for me and really just set off a light bulb in my mind, that documentary is called Seduce. It's about the Nexium cult, which was branded as a self-help series of workshops and courses that were very expensive. They were marketed toward the elite. In reality, it turned out to be a sex cult that was exploiting young women who were college aged and just really psychologically and emotionally abusing them. Okay, there were also men who were involved. So a lot of their wives were victimized. A lot of men were duped. They were hired by the company. It was horrible, but I'll just get into just a little bit of background as I'm going through each of the different characteristics. Just like cult leaders, toxic partners draw you in with some type of promise. In a cult, it's usually a promise of eternal life, unconditional love and acceptance, or to heal some kind of past trauma. In relationships, this can sound like, I'm going to introduce you to real so you hate lames. I'm nothing like the last. I'll treat you way better than they ever could. Or I'm a different type of nigga. And it's the same exact type of nigga, right? (laughs) These people pretend to be a savior from your last situation. They groom you with small acts of kindness and gestures through love bombs. So on Instagram, we'll often see hotel rooms filled with flowers candlelight pathways leading to expensive bags, fancy dinners, and romantic getaways, just to hear in the end that things were never really as good as they seemed and were sometimes shockingly toxic and abusive. The key in the beginning for these individuals is captivating you with words, gestures, and charisma, but they're really just talking in circles. They make you feel good in the beginning, but it never gets back to that feeling. So you end up chasing that honeymoon phase the entire relationship. Scientifically, it creates a dopamine release in your brain anytime that you feel their approval. So you constantly seek it like a drug. Once they have you hooked, they'll likely start playing into your insecurities. So this may sound like, you know, you're not usually my type. I typically go for X, Y, and Z, or I prefer someone who looks like this or makes X amount of dollars, but you know, it's cool, it's cool. Now, this is a way to prime you into already thinking and operating at a deficit. So you have to make up for it in other ways to your partner to prove that you're equally worthy. Another part of brainwashing is creating an us against the world mentality. This automatically begins the process of distancing you from your loved ones. 
In relationships, this can sound like, don't let the world or your friends or social media ruin what we have going on. It's sad to me that people feel like as soon as they post their partner on social media, it dooms their relationship. In reality, it's not social media, it's your partner, okay? <laughs> so many men in the music industry blame the public when they do something to mess up their relationship. I think about one of my all-time favorite R&B songs from the 90s by John B. They don't know. And he's like, don't listen to what people say. They don't know about you and me. But if you listen to the song, he's saying, you heard about my past and the things I used to do, all the games I played and the girls that didn't last. I know what's on your mind. You think I'm doing wrong. But what I can say is you're the only one. You're the exception, right? These individuals beg you to ignore the glaring red flags and trust in their word because for some reason you're the exception. The statistical chances in reality of them acting right with you are extremely slim, especially if the person hasn't had any form of positive intervention, okay? So like therapy, reading books, things that we discussed, ways to actually fairly fight for your partner. Trust actions, believe actions, and keep a record of offenses. It's very important, okay? Gaslighting really starts with playing on positive emotions, so asking your partner to trust me, trust me, you know, just believe in me, right? But they use that belief as an anchor to really pull you in and try to get you to distrust yourself. So they want you to move the trust from yourself into them. And no healthy person should be asking you not to trust yourself if we're thinking about it, okay? Because you're the person who spends the most time with yourself. So if you have somebody who's saying, don't listen to your instincts, don't listen to all these glaring flags, don't listen to everything that I have going on, it's a problem. Nobody should be trying to distance you from yourself, okay? In relationships and in cult culture, there's this push for victims to suffer in silence, keep it within the family. In relationships, black women are celebrated for being all forgiving, endlessly understanding, and private about their suffering. Don't have your family or friends in our business. You hear that all the time, right? Did you know that traditionally in African culture, families and friends are supposed to have so much trust and understanding for one another that couples lean on them in times of hardship? Your inner circle was supposed to rally around you and provide resources and support to help y'all get through those hard times. But in today's time, there are layers of envy, control, and assumptions that can leave us at odds between our partners and our friends. So you often feel like you have to choose. Luckily, I have a group of people that I trust to be objective. I confide in them when things get sticky and I trust them to tell me when I'm wrong <laughs> and when I need to take a step back. They don't choose sides. Their ultimate goal is to ride for my happiness, my safety, and provide support. They also understand that I am strong and capable enough to make the best decisions for me and my household. When these partners hit you against your family, they are putting you on an island, but you need some whistleblowers in your life. The sheer basis of cult culture encourages people to blindly follow a person. Now in relationships, in my personal experiences, I've mostly seen the conversation of, oh, well, black women don't know how to let a man lead. They need to learn how to submit to their partners to alleviate relationship issues. Like that is where we should start. In reality, this undermines all of the other factors that play into relationships and ways that men have to adequately show up for their partners to create a firm foundation for this type of relationship. The men who actually are leaders don't have to ask women to submit because they provide their partners with security and stability. 
so that we feel confident in our partner's ability to show up for our relationship and make decisions that prioritize and protect both partners' needs. Then we have the notion of framing love as a sacrifice for the greater good. So I see this in cult culture all the time, but in relationships, this looks like a love on top type of mentality. So proving yourself and your loyalty to your partner through a series of circumstantial tests. In relationships, I've heard of everything from judging a woman's body count to how well she can manage pitting herself against other women. I also want to add a small note about tattoos. So in relationships, I've seen a lot of requesting partners to tat your name so you know it's real. I've also seen people be manipulated into getting tattoos under the premise that their partner would return the favor and they never did. This was a big thing in the Nexium cult. They actually branded their members, a lot of them against their will. They told them that it was a different symbol that just represented their unity inside the cult when in actuality, it was the initials of two of the cult leaders. And so now these people are walking around with brands on them for the rest of their lives, much like people who, ha who get tattoos of their partner's names. And I'm, that's no shade. I don't have any problem with that. I just think that that is another means of control, especially when people nowadays are in such short relationships and they want to push you to go get their name and their face tatted or get as many versions of their name and face tattooed as possible. I just think that it's a very controlling tactic, especially if you're not willing to return the favor. It's also a means of showing ownership over an individual. And I just don't agree with that part of it. Now, if you remember Beyonce's song, Love on Top, it's actually, I used to love the song so much, but then I listened to the lyrics and it's one of the saddest songs I've ever heard. Okay. In the song, she says, now everybody's asking me why I'm smiling from ear to ear. They say that love hurts, but I know it's going to take a little work. Nothing's perfect, but it's worth it. And after fighting through my tears for all these years, <laughs> and finally you put me first. Finally, after all of that, girl, keep it. Mm, I don't want it. <laughs> Cult leaders and toxic partners thrive on the belief that the fate of the relationship falls on you and your actions alone. Your actions are under a microscope and they claim to match energy. So everything that you do is incentivized. Another song I bring up all the time is Cater to You. This song is full of problematic promises from women who were admittedly dealing with abuse, cheating, and ill treatment from their partners at or around the time the song was made. I'll give you my life, my breath, my will, and that's the least I can do, Michelle sings. Your life and breath are the least that you can do? Your literal reason for living on this earth is reduced to nothing greater than the mission to please your partner and is glorified as a sacrifice for the greater good of maintaining happiness in the household. Girl, that don't even make sense. I'll keep it tight and I'll keep my figure right. That's another promise they made. So what about the weight that women gain as they naturally mature with age? And men gain weight too, okay? With age and child rearing. Is gaining weight and changing with time naturally a reason to be discarded by your partner? Let's ask these questions. Come home late, tap me on my shoulder, I'll roll over. Baby, I heard you. I'm here to serve you. Mm-mm. Cause girl, you rolling over just to find out he could have literally been leaving Becky with the good hair house right before he got to you. I think not. 
<laughs> now, there's nothing wrong with celebrating your partner and showering them with love and affection, but there needs to be reciprocity. And this is extreme. I would never ask my partner to give their life and everything that they have to me. I want to know that they're invested in me, but I don't want them to just break their backs to no end to try to please me. I want them to meet me where they are and I want to know that I can ask for whatever I need from them and they will do everything they can within their capacity to help me. But baby, cater to you really just, I never liked it. Even when I was a kid, I said, this is not going to be me. I can't do it. <laughs> now, people to this day ask me if I have tried new ways to communicate with my ex. They stress how I need to be more flexible and creative to make things work. And to that, I say, first of all, stop talking to me. And second of all, first of all, stop asking me if I try to talk to this nigga and get him to stop being a narcissist or a sociopath or to work with me because I've literally tried and exhausted all my resources. And for you to ask me is really insulting as fuck and ignorant as hell. You literally can't reason with a narcissist. And I'm going to break that down for you. According to psychcentral.com, a narcissist won't accept all that you do to try to accommodate and satisfy them. They will never remember all the things that you did right. They only remember what you did wrong. So it's literally like putting all of your feelings, your compassion, your empathy into a vacuum. Wasted energy. If you subjugate your needs for long enough, you will lose your sense of self. I know y'all heard the saying, if you give a nigga an inch, he'll take a mile, right? Baby, these people will drag you the entire mile and tell you it's your fault when you get there. That's the type of people that you're working with. And you have to really understand the psychology behind it. It's not just a fucked up person. It's not just somebody who's a bad person. Like psychologically, they're hell bent on destroying you because they feel like it's what you deserve. I had to realize in my situation, no matter how peaceful or considerate I tried to be, there is nothing that I can or could have done to make this nigga compromise with me because it was never his intention to begin with. He never, ever wanted to meet me halfway, ever. Like many individuals with narcissistic and sociopathic tendencies, he wanted full control and access to me on his terms. And that's where things get very tricky. Instead of questioning black women about ways that we can stretch ourselves to be more agreeable, we need to question the utter refusal of so many people to be fair and agreeable with black women. You're making the conflict one-sided and assigning the weight of relationship responsibility to us alone. I need y'all to stop it. It's violent, it's silencing, it's discrediting, and it's fucking exhausting. Instead of pushing us to think of more ways that we can shapeshift to be endlessly accommodating, I want you to start asking yourself, what the fuck is wrong with all these other niggas? And why am I complacent in helping this black woman feel like she's always someone who needs to rise above, be corrected, and be changed? If you're constantly trying to change someone, you're telling them that the way that they simply exist is wrong. And when it comes to black women, the scales are tipped so far that we often have to pivot with criticism so much that we end up turning in circles for other people. And it never leaves us fulfilled, just dizzy and emotionally exhausted. If you all can remember the time where Cardi B and Offset were going through it and T.I. reached out and posted this whole long video and messages on Instagram and said, you know, don't let cheating break up your marriage, even though she got cheated on. <laughs> He's talking to Cardi B and telling her, don't let this ruin it for y'all. What kind of nigga shit is that? 
Black women must also understand that there is no amount of actions that we can do to make someone do right by us or see our value. The person for you will see it and recognize it. And that's just it. I always use the analogy of thrifting for dating. Imagine you're going out with your friends to a secondhand shop. Some of the things have previous owners and some don't. And then it happens. Your eyes land on a super rare find that you know is extremely valuable. You try to explain it to your friends, but they just don't get it. They don't see the value. Yet still, you rush your item to the register, you buy it, and when you get home, all of your friends look on eBay and Amazon and they see the worth of what you found. A little treasure. And then everybody wants one. Everybody doesn't recognize value the same way. Too often we discard people like we do items, never understanding the real worth of a person unless other people can tap into it. Another big component of brainwashing is glamorizing pain as part of the healing process. Trauma bonding is framed as a rite of passage in gaining true love and acceptance. In the Nexium cult, this involved workshops where participants paid high fees to go through emotional trauma immersion exercises, where they were exposed to shocking images and invited to question why their innate responses were a problem. The money and the emotional vulnerability had cult members invested. In emotionally abusive relationships, partners push you to be vulnerable and think that they are the only one who cares. They create a faux safe space, F-A-U-X, as in fake, making you chase potential growth, whether it's their potential or yours. It's like a little carrot they dangle in front of you to keep you moving forward in the relationship. They celebrate your positive emotional responses to them, but any pain you experience is your problem to deal with alone. They want your love, loyalty, and adoration. However, as soon as you start to show emotions that are inconvenient to them, like feelings of attachment, for example, they begin pushing you to be disconnected from your own natural human feelings. This get out of your feelings, getting your bag mentality offers no room for emotional processing. And if you're not processing your feelings, you're not even acknowledging your trauma to begin to work through it. Now, I'm not saying let your feelings incapacitate you, but I am saying check in with yourself and you can use questions like these. Is this situation adding to my happiness? Has there been a shift in my overall attitude? Am I more negative now than I've ever been in the past? Why am I always so down on myself? When are things going to seem good again or at least okay in this situation? It feels like I'm always one minute away from tragedy. Why do I feel so guilty every time I feel the least bit happy? Now, I found some of these questions on psychcentral.com. I will post the link for you to do a deeper dive on your own, but I think that these are a good place to start just to check in with yourself if something feels off. Another successful technique for maintaining control is keeping you so overstimulated and or exhausted that you can't remove yourself from the situation. In cults, this looks like making followers count calories or stay awake for extended hours in emotionally draining workshops. In toxic relationships, this can be causing arguments or stonewalling you to induce negative emotional reactions that leave you anxious, heartbroken, or so emotionally drained that you can't eat or maybe you overeat. This emotional turmoil could also affect your sleep. 
Did you realize that the more sleep deprived and exhausted you are, the easier you are to control? Your will to survive is your strongest human desire. Eating and sleeping are key regulating factors in living a healthy present life. If these are disrupted, your natural instinct is to do anything to restore that balance. And your manipulators know that. Now stonewalling is when an individual will remove themselves from the conversation. So this can look like ghosting or ignoring someone in the midst of an argument or giving a short response when you send a paragraph to somebody. It's them really withdrawing from you so that you lean forward. Sometimes stonewalling can be just an automatic emotional reaction that's not malicious. So if somebody is just overstimulated and things are just a bit too much for them, they could try to pull back and that's a normal human response. But the difference is when somebody responds like that, they'll come back later and be willing to have the conversation under different circumstances. But when a narcissist stonewalls you, they want to regain and maintain control over the relationship. In relationships, I've seen emotionally abusive partners say, well, what's understood doesn't have to be explained, but nothing has actually ever been explained, right? (laughs) The problem with that is if there's no effective communication and no expectations have been outlined, then how are you getting what you need in the relationship? You have to voice to someone else what you expect to get. And if you don't, then you're giving the other person power to decide what you will receive. There's no way for you to really hold them accountable. So it's really important that you go into a situation, letting it be known what you expect and standing firm on your boundaries and non-negotiables. You have to realize that each time that you are flexible and you bend and you make an exception to your non-negotiables and your boundaries, you make it easier for you to be manipulated because the person sees if you'll stay and if you'll compromise for certain things, then they start to learn your patterns. They start to learn how much they can push back or what kind of gifts they can buy you to ease the situation so that they can loop you back in because the goal is to keep you in the cycle of control. So you have to be aware of that. Another big component of stonewalling is your inability to question what's going on in the relationship. So I've seen this happen in cults and in relationships where people will have questions or, you know, they'll just need clarity on certain things and they'll be met with so much pushback or be completely shut out. And it leaves you being confused. And oftentimes people will apologize for even questioning. When in reality, you have every right to question every single thing on this earth. And anybody who respects you will respect your train of thought enough to provide you with a well thought out answer. The thing is with these toxic individuals, they don't have any answers for you because the answer is something that's gonna make you not wanna be in their control anymore. They need you to still be under the spell of that charisma, of that positivity, of that dopamine release that they've been giving you. So they get really angry and give you a horrible response that's gonna make you retreat into yourself so that anytime you wanna ask a question in the future, you'll think back to that negative experience that you had and you won't even question them. And if you're not asking questions, you're giving somebody free reign to move exactly however they wanna move without respect to your feelings. Cult leaders and toxic partners really thrive on letting their reputation precede them and hiding behind it. They're used to being celebrated for doing the bare minimum 
They work hard to ensure that people around them will adore them so that the very moment when you start to go into opposition with them, you're automatically seen as a villain by them and by the individuals who you used to be really cool with. So this can look like their family turning on you, their friends turning on you and saying that they never liked you, never fooled with you, which happens all the time. In living behind that reputation, these individuals are able to use that as a cloak to act and treat you however they would like to. They build a team of yes men around them. That moves into my next point, the power of the lack of accountability. So I wanna recount everything that we're dealing with from narcissistic and sociopathic individuals in relationships. So we have someone who wants blind faith and trust. They want your loyalty. They want sacrificial love. They glorify your suffering, especially emotional suffering. They make your feelings and the fate of the relationship your fault and your responsibility. They're hiding behind the cloak of their reputation, which is being praised by people around you, and they leave you no room for questioning. So how do you get out of a situation like this? You need accountability. There has to be some kind of checks and balances in place to make sure that this person isn't wreaking havoc all over your life. I've seen a lot of cisgender black men and those are men who were biologically born male, heterosexual men. I've seen them be praised for giving the absolute bare minimum and bragging about it. <laughs> Literally on rap songs, on podcasts, in society. And I just don't think that's right. Just because a man is around doesn't mean he should be getting the praise. One, it offends me, but it should really be offensive to the men who are really busting their butts and breaking their backs for their families because I have so many men around me who are just so invested in their relationships and in their friendships and supporting the women around them and really lobbying for us. And I would like to pose a challenge to you. Hold niggas accountable because we try to. We do our best, but it's easier for them to dismiss us than it is for them to dismiss you. We need you to be our allies in this. It should piss you off seeing a man get credit for the absolute bare minimum when you are putting in work every single day to be the best man that you can be. And I know if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> that's a first step because you're reflective. You're smart. You're intuitive and you're honest. You're here because you want to grow and learn. Man, we need y'all. We need you to show up for us and to show men how to treat us. I know a big thing with my ex was me telling him that as a father, you're supposed to show my son how I should be respected. And he told me he had absolutely nothing to do with that. And I just don't believe that. <laughs> no, none of the men in my life agree with that at all. They show him every single day how he should show up for me. And so I think you should think about that. It's important for us to understand that in order for people to leave abusive situations, they need to feel worthy enough for better. That's the first step. When you're being broken down so relentlessly, psychologically and emotionally, you can feel really down about yourself and it really tanks your self-esteem. Narcissistic partners work relentlessly to convince you that you won't be able to actually leave them. And if you do, where are you going to go from here? Who can love you like I can? Who will want you after all this has happened? And so I think that if we can have greater empathy for one, ourselves, and two, for other people, so that we don't judge when people end up in situations like this, or if we end up in situations like this, it's a very human thing to want to trust and believe people. I believe that 
Victim blaming is honestly just a mixture of pity, prejudice, and judgment working together. And oftentimes we use it as a veil to hide behind our own insecurities in ways that we can be manipulated in the same ways. I think it's a tool of projection. We project our insecurities onto these victims and we chastise them. We ostracize them. We make them feel very low, stupid, ignorant for falling victim to some of the same things that we are falling victim to in our daily lives. So I want us to just use this time to be reflective, be honest, and see what things really resonate with you because I do think that there are some things within this episode that are going to surprise you. You should also remember that at any given time, anybody can fall victim. There's a common misconception that people who fall into narcissistic situations or who end up as members of cults aren't smart that they can't think for themselves. And that's not true. There are very carefully crafted ways that and tools that people use to manipulate other people. And if you have trouble inspiring empathy and giving people grace, I want to pose this question to you. Have you ever had a friend who stabbed you in the back? Did you see it coming? You probably had all the hindsight, but you didn't have the foresight to see that. So should you suffer behind that? I don't think so. You learned your lesson and you moved on. Another thing that I noticed that's so funny to me is when you leave a cult, just like when you leave a traumatic situation, you look back at the person and you're like, wow, they're so small. I used to believe they were larger than life. I used to have tunnel vision for this person. And you just see them for the literal imperfect human being that they are. And it's one of the most humbling experiences to be able to remove that veil off of them and to see them for who they actually are. Hindsight is everything, isn't it? Well, thank you for tuning in for this mini-sode. I hope that you enjoyed the thoughts that I shared with you. I know it's a different concept, but you know, it's just something that got ringing in my mind. (laughs) If you felt like this resonated with you, please let me know. This show is executive produced and written by me, Amber Inadehi. You can follow me on Instagram at StepdaddySeasonPod. Music for this podcast is executive produced by Malcolm X. You can follow him on Instagram at I am Malcolm X underscore. You'll also be able to find his information inside my show notes. If you like the art and advertisements that you see, those are produced by Artistically Esoteric LLC. You can follow us on Instagram at Artistically ESO. This information will also be provided in the show notes. And remember, it's fine if you come for the mess, as long as you stay for the message. See you next time, shawty. But it's slow for us too. It's a panoramic. My turn, my turn. Come on, get your microphone. My name is Judah. Yeah, what? Yeah, what?